Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. From being a board engineering undergraduate to becoming a postgraduate student, Asraf Yusuf has been on quite the educational journey. In this episode of the Social Ideas Podcast, I asked Asraf how completing our Masters in Social Innovation led him further along the path of lifelong learning. Where I am today is at the intersection of research and also practice. What I'm doing for the research of my PhD is closely linked to what I do on a day-to-day basis at the workplace. What do I mean by this? So on an annual basis for the past three to five years, companies spend a lot of money on leadership development. The global span on corporate training last count 2020 was about 250 billion US dollars. And that's a lot of money, right? The big question mark is where is the value gain from that investment? What are the returns enjoyed by the organization and how do we measure that? Now, in my profession, in working with instructional designers, The job that we have is to ensure that the learning is meaningful for the learners and brings value to the organization. Trying to make sure that the transfer of learning from knowledge theory concept to practice application and actual generation of value, both monetary or reputation, happens at the workplace. So it's a big task because how do you measure behavior change? How do you attribute organizational result creation to specific behavior change? But that is the mystery that I'm trying to unravel, at least within the confines of leadership development. So a lot of money is being put into it. It's hard for companies to measure the returns on those investments. And what my research is trying to do is just then trying to understand how organizations can be smarter in the way that they invest money for leadership development. And they can then enjoy the fruits of their labor uh, in terms of their people having both personal and professional growth as a result of their investment. So from what I'm understanding, you're teaching people how to be better leaders. But by doing so, what that's actually doing is benefiting the company. How does that benefit those that are being led? If we look into the conventional model of organizational learning, we know that that's the 70-20-10 model, whereby 70% of learning happens on the job, 20% happens through coaching. So that depends on the supervisor and uh, employee relationship. And 10% happens through formal learning. Where I'm involved in on a day-to-day basis is mostly just on the 10%. But what I would like to be involved in, in the courses that we design, in the frameworks that we develop, is to also expand further to the 70% as well as the 20%. So where the money goes in by the organization for the 10% is quite transactional and is quite clear in terms of, okay, this is the cost per head for this particular training program, and it will be for X number of people for a particular cohort. So you get the total investments there. But for the 70% on a day-to-day, creating a learning culture in an organization where people are excited to go to work to learn. And there's also the teaching culture there whereby supervisors enjoy 
development of leaders, giving exposure, providing opportunities. That is the ecosystem that an organization needs to build. So although the focus of my study is on ensuring returns on investments on leadership development, I still believe that the perspective should be wholesome. It should not just be on those interventions or formal training. You know, you go for two days, um, then you come back and you forget everything. You don't want that. So you want to engage and make learning happen in the flow of work. How the supervisor can play a role to motivate and engage with their leaders at all levels. And then employees feel that their presence is felt appreciated and the opportunities are open for them. So my research focus is still confined to the 10%, but the perspective that we're trying to build is across the entire 100% of where learning happens in an organization. Um, I think there's one quote that says that leadership can't be taught, but it can be learned. You are a very busy man, Asraf. We know this because I've met you before. You are a graduate of the Masters in Social Innovation that comes through the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. I'm interested in understanding why you are perpetually learning. I used to... I wouldn't say hate is a strong word. I did not enjoy learning as an undergraduate. I studied engineering. I went to a wonderful institution. I had fun as a student there. But going to the class to learn something that I have little understanding of became a chore over time, right? So, you know, on the, on the day of my graduation, I said to myself, Pam, I'm done with school, never touching a textbook again, never setting foot in the classroom again. I'm just done with school right and then i went to start working five years down the road i got bored with the monotony of a nine to five life every day is the same and i wanted to challenge myself so what do i do i decided to go back to school so so i did my mba as a part-time student while working at the same time and i learned that when you're slightly a bit more matured <laughs> um, and you have a bit more experience in terms of working experience the experience of learning is different. I could engage with my classmates better. I could uh, challenge even the faculty members, having meaningful conversations with the faculty members. And in writing the papers, as tedious as they might be, I enjoyed the process of trying to answer the questions that's been challenged for me. I discovered the joy of learning at the tender age of 32 at the time. <laughs> but I was living a life of um, it was a busy life because I have work. That's my MBA. And we were blessed with our first daughter at the time. But I also enjoyed learning as we go. So at the point where I graduated from my MBA, I felt empty because I didn't know what to do with the time that I suddenly have. But one thing that I know is that I have a gap in terms of doing research. I have a gap in terms of doing academic reading, academic writing, and putting up meaningful research. Because when you look into the MBA, the nature of MBA dissertation and, and, and thesis, it's still more on the application of concepts and theories, right? But building frameworks, trying to then, you know, conduct deep research, that is where the gap that I had. And then I discovered the uh, Master's of Studies program in social innovation. And I had the opportunity to enter the second cohort in 2017. Now, 
I knew from day one what research I wanted to do. So my research is on sustainable funding for public higher education institutions. So for, for, for public universities that have been depending on government funding, how they can be more financially independent. Because then the money could then be channeled towards uh, students who are in need. So I knew from day one what my research would be. The directors of the program on day one told us that we will be challenged. And they really targeted on the gap that I had earlier, which is on doing academic research. And I was challenged even from the first module, you know, tons of papers to be read, words that I've never heard before, and sentences that I think would be much easily written in, in other parts of the world. But over time, I got used to it, I adapted to it, and I got hooked to it in a way. So finished my, completed my master's in, in social innovation, enjoyed the process. And now I have the hang of doing research and doing academic re- uh, reading and writing. And that drove me to then pursue the, the, the doctorate uh, where I managed to gain a scholarship. And I'm in my second year now, got another two years to go, uh, hopefully to then complete. So over the past 10 years, I've been doing both um, studying and, and working but it has never been disconnected. It has always been a process of, I go to class today, I put it to practice tomorrow. I, go to, I, I, I learn about something today, I talk about it tomorrow. And I've enjoy, I'm enjoying that process because I can feel the personal growth of knowledge acquisition as well as imparting my little wisdom to my team, for example, at least. Yeah, it's been, it's been almost 10 years now. Um, so that is what drives me to become a lifelong learner, which is also a part of the research that I'm doing now. And I think it's in most of us. And it's not until that we take that small step that we can discover our actual capacity. So I discounted myself very early in life, but I'm happy to prove myself wrong. <laughs> what was it then about the Masters in Social Innovation that attracted your attention in the first place? Several factors. Number one, the term social innovation in itself is a fascinating term because it looks into the most pressing challenges that is facing society, environment, and the interdependencies between those two. Now, this broad spectrum of social innovation as a discipline, I feel is enables me to then identify how I can apply it to the local context of what's happening here in Malaysia. So what I learn and putting what I learn into practice is so highly applicable that it is something that's within reach. So number one is the subject of social innovation itself. Number two is the format. We begin with online kickoff sessions and then we go to our residentials. I love the residentials. I think the residentials is a point where I switch off from work and I switch on on my um, studying cap and I wear my studying cap and I, I switch on my studying mode. And what I enjoy is about that is engaging with the classmates. I've had classmates from, from the Red Cross, from the Central Bank, who are from startups, from the social sector, even from the private sector like myself, right? So as much as the curriculum itself is rich, the people who make up the cohorts 
was so valuable to me and we are still in touch today knowing that i have friends in most continents in the world <laughs> it's quite comforting in a way in case i get lost but what i learned from them is in terms of the similarities that we have and the challenges that we face even if they are out there in uh, trying to do policy making even if they are out there in trying to build products that can help water conservation i mean the energy sector we are all from different sectors but i think the common denominators are in the challenges that we face and number 3 is cambridge so cambridge in itself it's a dream of many to go to cambridge it's a dream of mine as well and being there being a part of the college system being a member of the community and getting involved with the business school is one that i i really enjoyed you know i would really highly recommend it to anyone so social innovation as a subject the people who make up the program and of course cambridge university you mentioned that one of the things that you most enjoy doing is taking what you've learned your knowledge acquisition and applying that to the practical space of the work environment so what did you learn whilst you were doing the masters in social innovation that you you kind of continue to bring forward with you you know i'm often asked by new graduates in terms of what is most sought after by employers today and i always gravitate to the same answer which is critical thinking and critical thinking is something that you build across many degrees of it in being an individual in being a leader of the team that you lead so i think my level of critical thinking coming out of the program has truly shifted has truly been transformed because i was challenged myself in doing the papers that i've written throughout the program most of the papers that i had written as a part, as a student in the program had gone through about 10 to 12 uh, drafts on average which can be painful but the value that i gain from it is to truly ask the right questions from the information given to me so i think what drove me to keep on coming to the higher education setting because you are consistently challenged right so when i began with my mba it was my first encounter with being in being reintroduced to learning and when i was doing my papers when i was doing my exams the way that i'm answering the question is way way different from how i was doing it as an undergraduate and now when i'm going to the msd program at cambridge when we are then tasked to write literature review for example being critical of what others have written what others firmly believe in their research i felt that there was a daunting task for me because who am i to then question what this very experienced researchers have done but i think the program opened the door opened our thinking and provided the platform for us to then express ourselves and i think another important factor is the um psychologically safe environment that the program creates for the members of the cohorts to truly then share their views and opinions so critical thinking is something that i aim to sharpen for myself it's so hard for me to describe what it really means but on a day to day basis as i engage with people as i am tasked to drive my team at the workplace even as i nurture my children i think 
that's a part of my experience at Cambridge where I bring together with me. And I think that level of critical thinking is, is where it comes to practice. Through critical thinking, through, through the sharpening of that skill for yourself, how have you challenged your, your own thought processes and the manner in which you work with others? As a leader, I am always practical in my decision-making. And what do I mean by that is I try to look into the investments of money, energy, and time that we do into a particular initiative, and then the result that comes out of it, right? So I try to be practical with my team members in, in doing that. But at the same time, being practical can also mean being too comfortable within the comfort zone that we are in. So with some amount of critical thinking, I think I've been able to push the boundaries a bit. I've been able to then push the thinking of not only myself, but also my team members. So from time to time, as much as I want to be practical and efficient in what I do at work, when the time comes, I think being able to apply my critical thinking has also enabled me to be more innovative in driving solutions. Again, my job is to design programs. The way that people learn today have changed. If the way that I'm designing programs is still traditional and conventional, be it by way of curriculum or by way of delivery, then the expectations of the learners out there might not be met, right? So it has to be striking a balance between conventional and innovation. And I think um, when I look into the examples of the case studies that we've gone through from the social innovation uh, program, the intrapreneurs, the extrapreneurs, I think the, the curiosity that is driven by those individuals are something that I emulate and bring to my workplace. The curiosity then drives innovation, drives me to then motivate my team. And it's through this um, they, daily expression of ideas that I want my team to also then be able to innovate within their respective uh, functions. That is how it's a bit abstract, but I hope I've linked how that critical thinking has been linked to curiosity and then ultimately to innovation and then how we can be more creative in uh, doing our problem solving. So you've gone from the Masters in Social Innovation, you're now doing your PhD. Where do you hope your PhD is going to lead you? It's a great question. I'm lucky in a way that I'm able to now still be in the corporate world, but carry a function that can be academic. Now, moving forward, after almost 10 years being very, very close to academia, there is that attraction of going into teaching and research uh, more significantly that, that I'm, I'm attracted in. So as much as my professional upbringing has been in the corporate world, I am getting myself familiarized with academia ecosystem. I'm an adjunct associate professor of social innovation in local university. I'm advising them in terms of their curriculum and their content. So in the long term, Pam, in case 
the right door opens, I might consider going entirely into academia and going into teaching and research. At the moment, I'm still enjoying this very um, unique intersection where I'm in, which enables me to then see both worlds. But 10 to 15 years down the road, again, if the right opportunity comes in, I might go into academia fully, but otherwise, being an amphibian in both worlds um, is something that I enjoy. <laughs> if somebody came to you and said, should I do the Masters in Social Innovation program, what would you say to them? I would say a resounding yes. I have been challenged throughout the program. I survive, <laughs> thankfully. But what I would like to impress upon the questioner is on the growth that I've experienced as a result of the program. The knowledge is just there. The knowledge is everywhere. But the curation of the program enables the students of the cohorts to really think deep, to really question the assumptions that we have. And also, it has been a platform that enables to express ourselves. So you come into a situation where you don't mind being proven wrong because being proven wrong is not an entirely a bad thing in this program at least because you know the ecosystem is so encouraging of learning and knowledge acquisition application of skills and so forth that you feel rejuvenated as a result of it but the impact the personal impact that i felt the growth that i've enjoyed coming out of it and being challenged throughout the process are the two reasons that I would anchor on in answering that question. Some people might have doubts. It's Cambridge. It's hard to get in. Where do I get my time? Where do I get the funding and so forth? I think it's worth trying and trying to get in first. And once you are in, you get the offer and then you strategize on the others. That's why I always tell people. It will be challenging. Therefore, the mindset needs to be right. You need to then be able to then tell your family members, I'll be involved in this time-consuming program. I am willing to be consumed with the program and be clear and most importantly, enjoy the program. And you will definitely enjoy Cambridge. (laughs) I gather from what you're saying, it's not an easy program to do. No, no, no. You can look at my grades. It's not an easy program. <laughs> but it's, it's not about getting a distinction or marriage. It's not all about the grades. And after graduation, the fact that the, my classmates are in touch, you know, we have, we have a WhatsApp group where we speak with Neil. We know what the current cohort six, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is, 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 they just had their residentials, right? I think that's what I enjoy, sense of community. I've, I've been getting some messages from some peers in Malaysia who are interested to join, uh, some regional peers as well who are interested to join. And I've, I've been happy as an ambassador, an unofficial ambassador of the program to, to, to in, informally share my own experience. It's been a joy even talking about the program with, with others. 
That was Asraf Yusuf, Masters in Social Innovation alumnus and PhD student in Learning and Development Practice and Research. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation and how to apply for our Masters programme by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube.